Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. Hi, welcome to Days in Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today we're going to do a little storytelling session. Got Dustin Whitwer of the Finding Backcountry Podcast uh, on with us and uh, we're going to hear some of his experiences. What's going on, man? Oh, just trying to get through application season and figure out where I'm going to be this fall. And you know, the excitement, it's, uh, yeah, almost for me, it's almost more fun, uh, trying to draw tags and stuff this time of year than it is actually hunting. <laughs> it's its own kind of, uh, you know, it's its own season. It's its own thing. It's kind of cool. <laughs> well, there's, Hey, there's an art to it. You know, there's some people are terrible at drawing good tags and, and some people just have a knack for it. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've been pretty good over the years. I, I, my tag strategy is mostly for opportunity than anything, but since I apply so many different places, I always had that one or two where I'm kind of shooting for the fences. Yeah. So to speak. So I do end up with a good tag every once in a while. Uh, I got lucky this year and drew or drew one. I won one of the raffle tags at the Hunt Expo. Um, I got a Books Cliff rifle mule deer tag. Hey, so yeah, there's some I can relate to. Uh, I just got off a season with that moose tag I picked up at the Hunt Expo down there too. So it's uh, how was that? Oh, it was it was incredible, man. It was uh, you know even throughout the whole hunt and tipped over a moose and everything. And now I, even to this day, I still can't believe that, you know, it was like one in 1800 or something like that. Um, non-residents that I was the guy, but it just goes to show, you know, me and you and a lot of other people. I mean, somebody's, somebody's got to draw, you know, I've, yeah. I've put hundreds of dollars into that for quite a few years. And, um, you know, you like to think at some point it's going to pay off and, and it did. And for some people it won't obviously, but, um, right. Yeah, no, it was just, I mean, that was just a, you know, almost a surreal hunt. It's, it's, you know, pretty easy to find moose. And I had, I had some help and a lot of good buddies there. And so it was just, it was just picture perfect. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Moose is one of my, definitely one of my bucket lists. I've, I've been on, the alternate list twice now in uh, Maine because I put it in Maine in New Hampshire every mm-hmm. year and have been for probably 10, 10, 12 years, something like that. But I haven't, I haven't drawn a tag yet. We'll see. And as far as raffles concerned, that mean I've shut. I, I put in like most of the, most of the big game raffles in the West. Anyway, yeah. the odds are pretty good. Obviously. I mean, you, you know, two guys right here on the, on the phone talking about it, that we've both drawn, I mean, my tag isn't well, like amazing. I'm much sure rather have a moose tag, but <laughs> but, yeah, but it happens, you know. You know, lo- love it or hate it. Um, unfortunately, with the demand and diminishing supply of some of these, you know, Western, especially the once in a lifetime 
type of tags, moose and sheep and goat and stuff like that. Drawn in those raffles is a lot of times far and away your best statistical mm-hmm. chance of actually getting a tag. Yep. You know, and you consider, you know, how few of those tags there are out there. We were just talking here in the office uh, yesterday. A guy just picked up his third sheep raffle, different sheep, so different species. Wow. Uh, he had, he's picked up a desert, a rocky, and now a doll's sheep, I think. That's Everything awesome. but a stone. Via yeah via the raffles you know whether it's wild wild sheep or whatever like and you would never you know some of those you you just have to buy anyway but um you know some people don't have forty fifty thousand for a sheep hunt and so yeah you know but you have a couple hundred bucks to throw in for some raffles and and the odds are are far better than the draws usually so anyway just kind of the way it is yeah my my wife was this like one person away from winning a sheep tag last year uh we were at the expo and uh we went to the uh the auction or yeah was it the auction yeah or the banquet one of the i think it was one of the banquets whatever it was and um you know we put in the one of the ones where you just kind of like throw your name in the hat type deal mm. uh you buy x amount of tags and they she got called up on stage and it was her tim oh, Gilling, yeah, they, tim gilling they do like Oh, I watched that one, man. And they do like the, they narrow it down and you have to pick and choose like flipping a coin or whatever. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Basically. And she was one of the last people up there and then she didn't get it. Oh, yeah. It was, it was pretty cool, but she almost, she almost, I got it. That was, that was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, anyway. So, um, if you could share with us, uh, a story maybe that you, uh, learn something about hunting a certain species or about type of hunting and kind of maybe change the way you hunt where you had, I hate to say an aha moment, but like an aha moment. Yeah. You know, I, uh, man, knowing some of the quality of guests that you have on here and what your audience would expect. um, I don't think anybody expects anything. There's well, something to, I, there's something I, to be learned from everybody, and and you know what you you do a type of hunting that I don't do. I mean you're you're you pack in with animals and you you do all kinds of stuff like that. Like I that's you know so for me yeah. it's it's a learning experience because I don't I don't hunt that way. Yeah, well I uh, I felt like I had to you know maybe dig down into the archives, not into the archives uh, back, but just you know, go into kind of a level two or a level three to try to bring some value here. Um, and this is, this isn't necessarily anything to do with the backcountry hunting. Like you just said, um, it more applies to just something that I, I, uh, witnessed, uh, animal, animal behavior that I observed, um, particularly, uh, mule deer, mule deer buck, big, big mule deer buck. Right. And Mm so I have, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of, I'm, you know, I'm a student of the game. I, I like to think, and I have quite a few books and I, I listen to podcasts like, you know, like this and others. And, um, I try to learn from, from other guys. And one theme that I have heard, uh, brought up multiple times by mule deer guys is, uh, referring to big buck behavior is the fact that these big bucks get smart and they, they circle back on their tracks after they get pushed. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And I've always heard that or read it and just kind of, you know, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I don't know that I had ever really witnessed it um, until a couple of years ago. And it really was like what you just said. It was that kind of aha moment of exactly what's going on. And then, you know, again, there's two types of people, people that, you know, they, they learn reading something and they can just visualize it in the field or, you know, maybe someone like me that has to watch a deer do it. And then I can picture, it really helps me picture how the next deer is going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, so that I can apply it to every other situation differently than just reading in a book. And so, uh, 2019, I was on just a, you know, just a random backcountry, you know, some crap unit in Colorado, um, that you could get with, you know, no points or whatever. And I was in there by myself, um, new, completely new unit, uh, packed in, woke up opening morning and there wasn't a lot of deer. This is a low, low deer density unit, but I picked up a bachelor group of probably the only bucks within a few miles Hmm. and you know they're up on a big peak and the peak was pretty prominent and so unfortunately um there was another hunter um pretty well-known hunter that i i don't i won't name (laughs) but um he runs a podcast and so if you you can kind of deduct maybe who it was if you listen to some of the other podcasts out there but anyway you know the punchline is he's the worst he's the last guy that you would want rolling up on, you know, down the trail heading for the same deer that you're heading after. <laughs> Cause this guy knows he's, he's the real deal. You know, he knows how to get it done. And, but I, you know, I was still watching the deer and, and he was already packed up and, wa- and walking down the trail past me to get to these bucks. And we knew, mm-hmm. you know, we knew, we knew right off that we were hunting the same deer and, and we weren't trying to, you know, pull the BS on the mountain where you lie to each other or anything like that. It was, you know, I was still packing up my camp and kind of keeping an eye on these bucks while I was packing camp up. And, and so I said, Hey, you know, we're at, you're after these deer. Yeah, I am. Well, why don't you go ahead? I said, and you know, you've got your stuff packed up, just go ahead. And, you know, I'll, I'm going to, you know, the right thing to do here is to let you have the stock. You're already ready. So he took off. And what that did is it gave me the opportunity to sit back. There wasn't much else going on. There wasn't any other deer to, to really watch. And so, you know, and, and maybe that's a valuable little tid, tidbit that I've never thought of until right now is a lot of other guys could have just, you know, they, they, they probably would have done the same thing, but maybe, maybe they wouldn't have, you know, maybe they would have just moved on for the day and went and said, well, this is stupid. I'm going to go hunt somewhere else. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I just took it as a learning opportunity. And I said, you know, I'm going to watch how this plays out. Well, you know, and, and part of it was selfishly because I was fully expecting that if he went up there and blew everything out and I could watch, you know, maybe I could keep tabs on the deer and then I would get the second stock, you know, which he, he, uh, would be, you know, I, I knew he would be, uh, in favor of. And so that's what happened. I climbed up on the little side peak and had a front row seat basically of him, uh, working these, these bucks in on their bed and, he did everything how I would have done it for the most part. And just, you know, he got in and you could tell he's just waiting out uh, one of them to stand up and uh, look like the wind swirled on him, I think. And, and these bucks blow out. Right. And there's one, there's one buck in particular. That's the real, the real dandy here, kind of the, you know, 180 plus tall, you know, real, real nice buck. So I'm watching that buck in particular and they kind of blow out and they, 
they actually come kind of towards me. Not, they're not, I mean, I'm, I'm over a mile away. They don't know I'm here, but they kind of come towards me around the, the side hill of the big peak, the big ridge that he's on. And they go out of sight from where he can see them, but I've got a perfect view of what they're doing. Mm. And I watch them and they, they side hill around until they're completely on the backside, basically of, from where he was at, where he blew them out. And now they're, you know, again, they're, they're almost a mile, uh, three quarters of a mile from where he blew them out. And they're starting to, you know, they're kind of trotting around the ridge and they're just kind of side hilling around from the level that they were at. And they're starting to, they're starting to slow down and I'm kind of just watching and watching. And if they had kept going and some of them did, if they had kept going and just kept circling around, they would have, they, they went out of sight for me even. So they've come clear all the way around the backside of this peak and on the backside, it got pretty thick in timber. And, and I'm thinking in my head as I'm watching this, ah, those bucks are going to go back in that thick timber and never be seen again because I can't keep eyes on them and it's too thick. And that's what all the young bucks did. And the big buck was following kind of towards the back. And about the time those other bucks disappeared around the back, I watched him and he stopped. And he just kind of watched and he watched and he watched those other bucks. Um file off you know around the hillside around him and then i had my aha moment because he did something that i had only read about up to that point he stopped and he flipped 180 degrees and he slowly started working his way back his back trail and i'm like this is getting weird this is getting weird right why would he head back that way we went back maybe a couple hundred yards from where those other bucks had disappeared and then he bedded down and he didn't just bed down most of the time when bucks bed down they bed down you know towards the top of the peak and they bed looking downhill right mm-hmm. this buck this buck was kind of down you know a couple hundred yards from the top of the ridge and he's in a little scattered pine and stuff like that a really weird place for him to bed but more importantly the direction that he bed was really weird and i realized all of a sudden at the time that he's bedded and he's now looking directly back his back trail. And it just, again, I'd, I'd read about it. I'd heard guys talk about it, but until I saw it in person, it just didn't click for me. And so, you know, the valuable thing to take away from that is then how I would have reacted if I, let's say I was in the position of this other guy that had stalked him. And I just, you know, how many times have we blown deer around the ridge and we think, man, I'm just going to go peek around that rid- that around that corner of that ridge line where they disappeared and just see if I can just pick them up, you know, around the edge of the ridge. And I'm telling you, he didn't do that. Cause I don't, I don't think where he, where that buck ran to, uh, the guy that had blown him out could really see him anyway. Mm-hmm. But if he had and had done that, that buck would have been triggered. So, f- I mean, he would have been looking right at him, you know, right. that feeling when you pop over the ridge and the deer's already looking at you somehow. Yep. That it would have been, you know, I've seen that. I've made that mistake myself a hundred times. I think we all have. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We all have. Right. And so the, you know, the, the thing that I learned is, man, next time that happens, I think I'm going to start swinging around the opposite side of the peak as hard as that might be. You might be able to sneak in and just, you know, and it would have taken hours. It would have taken all day for that guy to swing around the opposite side of the peak because you would have had to go really slow glassing down in and eventually though he would have had the angle on that buck to pick him up before he picked him up you know right Uh, but that would have been the only way that it would have happened and 
it was it was just fascinating learning experience um you know real nitty-gritty technical you know minor little you know detail but something that just you know we get outsmarted with those bucks you know quite often i think with that tactic so yeah all right and i think i think the guys that really are truly consistently successful they pay attention to those little things like those those little details are the are the uh the golden ticket really and yeah i personally am i'm too a little too i mean certain things i'm very i'm very technical about and then other things i'm not like I, I don't think that even though I know and I've seen it with my own two eyes, same thing, you know, not, not exactly the same experience, obviously, but very similar experience. I've, and I, for some reason, I just never, I've never added that to my repertoire to like really think about it when I've blown deer out that that scenario could play out. Even though, like, like you said, you know, you, you've read it, I've read it, but I've also seen it too now and I've never I don't know why I just keep making the same freaking mistake over and over again, but I do. So, well, and you know, a, a success story of this, my brother, um, you know, a few years before that in Utah, he was hunting a big buck and, you know, kind of, kind of got in on him. And, and I don't know if he was stalking him at the time or if he kind of blew him out of his bed, didn't know he's there. I, I can't remember, but the point is, the buck, you know, and this was a much smaller mountain, just, just a little bump of a hill, basically, you know, that was three or 400 yards in diameter, um, in this scenario. Mm. But you know, that, that buck had, had blown up out of his bed and he's, and he did what they always do. They side hill away from you, right? Like, you know, you can kind of picture that buck just, you know, they're not going to go up the little ridge and they're not going to go down into the open. They're just going to kind of side hill until they get away from you. And my brother, you know, who's, who's, I hate to say hasn't done this as long as I have, but just maybe picks up on this stuff better than I do. He was smart enough to go the opposite direction. Mm. And what happened was, and again, this is just a tiny little, you know, topography of a little tiny hill. But what happened was he basically ends up, you know, doing exactly what I was just saying would have happened with this buck just on a micro scale and, and pops up over the opposite side of the ridge, you know, only 20 or 30 yards from the top probably and catches this buck already bedded down you know the 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 j hook the circle back these are all the same things that you hear and it's all the same tactic that that buck's applying in their head you know they've been stalked by lions their whole life and they know the drill you know they watch their back trail because things come after them right? right and that's how that's how they've gotten into hot water before is things come after them and so he was able my brother in that story he's able to swing around the opposite side of the peak again just a micro version of what what should have been done on this big buck and caught the buck in its bed you know basically before he could make a reaction and and killed him with a bow you know at like you know sub 20 yards i mean it was right there wow that's um, awesome yeah you know just so you know again to summarize that just watching those big bucks and and trying to play chess instead of checkers with them, you know, I think is what I learned, um, you know, thinking the mountainside, thinking the topography of where this buck's going to go. And then, and then what tactic he's going to apply if pressure was applied to him and, and which way you need to go to be a couple steps ahead of him. No, that's, that's a really great example actually. And that, and that's a good story. I, 
you know, obviously I've been doing this for a long time and, um, very rarely do I, uh, do I hear, I shouldn't say very rarely, but I, I don't, I don't hear it as often as I would, I would like to anymore. A story that, uh, that makes me think about the way mm-hmm. I'm hunting. So I like, yeah. uh, that was a good one. So, uh, if you could share another one with us, I'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep them coming. <laughs> Just keep them coming. Well, good news. You got, you got to fill up an hour up. here, man. <laughs> that's good kidding. news. Good news. I've screwed up a ton of opportunities. So I've got, that's all I've got is lessons of things that learn. <laughs> there you go. No, I, you know, as I sat and kind of brainstormed, I, you know, I was like, man, maybe, maybe a success story, you know, that, um, you know, even though they're, they're few and far between of that taught me a lesson. Um, and this is, this is, again, this is with my brother. I, I, you know, do a lot of hunt with him and, uh, he's a really good mule deer hunter, but this was years, years and years ago when we were hunting that country in Nevada, kind of that high Alpine, you know, back country type stuff. And, you know, it's really a simple story, but it was for us at the point in our, I don't, I don't want to say career because this isn't a job or anything, but but it sounds sounds right. Career is good. I use that word all the time. Sure. (laughs) Sure. The point, the point in our hunting life, you know, we had been after, we'd been after it a while and we'd really started hunting the backcountry and, and, and those type of hunts are a grind, you know? And so maybe, maybe this is a story um, with a valuable piece of information for the guy who's, you know, just getting into backpack hunting or um, looking to, you know, bite off their first, you know, week long backpack trip or something where they're not going to come out of the woods or whatever. And, and, maybe this can help them, you know, take some grit, um, or some stick to itiveness into their hunt. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've been in there and there's, you know, it, it makes it easy when you get into these backcountry hunts and there's, there's animals everywhere. And I'll be honest back in this day, like there was a lot more opportunity than there's been lately. And so it made it easy, but you know, we had been grinding on this hunt for, I don't know, six or seven days of basically, a, you know, basically a seven day hunt and got to the point where it was time to go home. But, you know, we had just had opportunity after opportunity and you just felt like, man, if we just keep applying the pressure here and get a few, one or two more stocks, like that's all it's going to take because, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. And so, right. you know, would, would we have done this if there was, you know, like, the scenario I just talked about in Colorado, once that deer got blown out, there wasn't another deer to be found, you know, that was a shooter. And so, Hmm. you know, that's probably a little bit different scenario, but we just got to the point where we decided we weren't going to leave until we made it happen. And, you know, I know that that's, you know, that's kind of a cliche or that's kind of just a, you know, anybody can anybody can say that and let's be honest at some point we would have left yeah. right like uh, but within you, but with, you still have to have that mindset yeah you know and 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 it's something that we had never had before you know you got to i think you have to read the hunt i think you have to read the situation you know if you're on some i don't know colorado elk hunt and you haven't seen an elk in 7 days is it really the time to just keep pushing for nine extra when you're, you know, you're going to have to explain it to your job and your wife. And, you know, when you get back because you extended two days, cause you're just, you know, determined to get it done. It's maybe not the hunt to do it on, but this hunt, we just, 
the feeling was right. There was plenty of deer, plenty of shooter bucks. And we just knew that every morning when we woke up, we were getting opportunities, one, two, three stocks a day if we wanted them. And so, you know, being self-aware of what the hunting situation is, but we just said, no, man, like the couple guys we were with, one of them had tagged out, one of them had to get back. And we just said, you know what, we're going to stay. They ended up leaving us some of their food that they had packed in. So we had the food to stay. And we just flat out said we weren't leaving until we got it done. And that, um, it was the, at that point, I mean, that was probably the hardest, you know, nine day hunt that we had ever done. And again, you know, fairy tale ending, right? The punchline is we, we did, we, it took us two extra days. We moved camp. Um, we got up on these bucks. Um, <laughs> Jason stalked into, you know, 40 something yards. I was right over his shoulder with some really crappy, uh, you know, we were all into filming our hunts at that time just for mm-hmm. who knows what reason, but really crappy footage. Cause everybody of, was <laughs> yeah, cause everybody, really crappy footage of him, uh, smoking this buck and, you know, buck runs 200 yards around the, around the ridge and tips over. And, and again, not the biggest buck. Um, you know, we probably had opportunities on that hunt at bigger deer, but, the lesson there and the valuable thing is, you know, if this is something that you, if it's something that you really want, you'll figure out a way to make it happen. You know, and again, that's don't throw, you know, as one of my favorite quotes from movies, don't throw effort after foolishness, right? That doesn't mean that, you know, again, that doesn't mean that you're just reckless and, you know, irresponsible in the wrong situation, but sometimes all you need is one more stock and one more day. Yep. And, you know, you maybe have an extra travel day built in because you were going to, you know, hike out of the back country and stop at the next town up, you know, halfway between there and home and you were going to grab a hotel and you were going to, you know, make the drive nice and easy to get home. And really, if you just extended another day and a half, you would have to drive, you know, leave the trailhead at, you know, 5 p.m. and get home the very next morning and go to work with no sleep, right? But, you know, how bad do you want it? You know, because sometimes all you need is that one last stock. And that's that's really what it taught me. Um, and I've had plenty of other hunts where we've peeled out early and you get that sick feeling when you're headed to the, you know, you're back at the truck and you know you shouldn't be because you kind of quit on yourself. <laughs> and... I can just tell you, man, the feeling of pushing through one extra day, whether you're successful or not, and giving it, you know, every single thing that you can, as opposed to deciding to peel out early, um, you know, it's a lot easier to deal with the the extra work of giving it everything you got. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's an inspiration to someone this, this fall or something, because we'll all get in that situation where it's like, man, this has just been a grind you know, I've been so close. Like, how do I just find the, you know, how do I find the motivation to keep going here? And it, you know, it just takes one more stock, man. Yeah. It's a numbers game. It really is. Yeah. Especially in bow hunting. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I feel like it's a lot easier on hunt, like you said, you had you had a lot of opportunities. It just wasn't happening for you. Those are always the ones where I want. Oh, I want an extra day, or I wanna, I wanna yeah. keep on going. But then the flip side, like you spoke about, was you know those ones that are you know, just not. You know, you've gone five days and you've seen two deer or whatever it is, and <laughs> you know you got two days left at a hunt, and you're starting to like now you're starting to think, is it worth me busting my ass for the next two days to? 
maybe scare up another deer, but it's like, but, uh, I don't know if I look back at all my hunting, I got to say at least 80% of the time I'm getting it done on the last day or the day before the last day. Somehow, of, some way. Of what, of, of my, what, like whatever of I had, what you had, of what you had scheduled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I feel like, like there's a, um, I don't know, a flow of things. You always, I can't say always because I've, I've, I've shown up plenty of times and killed on the first day and second day, whatever. But for the most part, it's like, it takes like three days for you guys, like for you to kind of get into the flow of how and learn the movement, especially if you go into a new place. Like yeah. most of the time when I'm hunting, I'm not hunting the same places that I've been. Now it's different if I'm, you know, hunting from home or whatever. And I know I'm going here. It's, that that learning curve is obviously a lot shorter or or non-existent in some some yeah. cases but i mean on on that nevada hunt you know this was maybe the it was either the first or second year that we had really dedicated to like you know backpack in and in, in this particular area you know it was like the first or second year probably hmm. um and so what you said is absolutely true you get up on the mountain and you know it, it in a new unit it takes you a day or two to figure out kind of the flow of where the bucks hang or where they're going to be. And then it takes you even a few more days to kind of get a feel for where they're going to go. If they blow out where, you know, where the, where the pressure from the other hunters is coming. We, by the, by the, by day nine, when we killed that deer, I mean, we had these things down pat, like we had, we knew where they were going to take a piss. We knew what, where they're going to, you know, bed up for the day. If they were in this drainage, if they started in this drainage in the morning, they're going to bed up in here. Like, we knew, you know, we had them figured out. It was just like you said; it's just a numbers game at that point. We just needed to execute the stock, um, right? Yeah, and that's eventually you're going to do the right thing, and they're going to do the wrong thing, and it's going to come together. Yeah. yeah, every single day at that point, the scale was sliding, you know, in our favor. Every single day, it was just getting more and more in our favor. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like. That's been my story every time I go to California for blacktail hunting. I still, I've still yet to kill one there. This is driving me freaking insane. I haven't gone since since 2018. Uh, 2019, my father-in-law passed away like a week before my trip, so I didn't go. Mm-hmm. And last year, I didn't go because of COVID. Um, so hopefully, we'll see what this year brings. I'm going to go, but. It's always, I always feel like, oh my God, if I had one more day, if I had one more day and that's a, that's a tougher trip. Cause it's like, you know, airfare and this and that, I didn't drive there. So you got to change a bunch of stuff and, and like, I won't be able to change it if that happens for, for this hunt, because my wife is coming to meet me at the end of my hunt for us to go to Napa for a couple of days, you know, um, just a last little quick vacay before the kids go back to school. So they're going <laughs> to. So like that's it, you know the the five or six days six days that I have allotted to hunt. That's it. That's all I got. But I know if I don't if I don't get one, I know it's gonna have that. I'm gonna have that same feeling. Like shit, if I have one more day, <laughs> one more day. But yeah, anyway, it's tough, man. I mean, we all you know there there's always a common theme. It seems like in these you know these these guys who consistently. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's, there's tons of blue collared guys that consistently kill, you know, big bucks and big bulls every year, but a lot of them, 
you know, they've gotten to the point either in their career or they're part of the hunting industry or something where they just have a lot of time Mm -hmm. and that's their advantage. You know, a guy like Randy Ulmer, right. He's pretty much retired. I mean, that guy spends, if you hear him, like he'll spend the entire season, he'll spend 30 days before the season up on the mountain scouting and then hunting. And he's, he, he can take all the time he wants. He's got, he knows he has unlimited days pretty much. And, you know, on the right hunts where, you know, a bow hunts, maybe 30 days, that's different feel than I have if I'm going to unit. And so, you know, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean anything. You just have to use it to your advantage. And, and what does that mean? Well, if I'm a blue collared guy that can only get out for five days a year or, you know, nine days a year or whatever, I would highly advise picking a unit and sticking to it for three to five to seven, maybe your whole life. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, because every you know, year it's going to get easier. Yeah. Because you, you, know, you have that much more experience with it. Yeah. That much more. You know, I could walk back into that unit in Nevada and barring the unforeseen pressure from hunters that you can't control or predict, you know, if I was just up on the mountain with the deer, I can tell you where deer, I, you know, there's deer heading up in there right now that I can tell you which drainage they're, they're migrating to. And, you know, where those deer are going to bed up and I can picture the trees and the pockets and how to approach them. Right. I've got, I've got all that wealth of experience and, you know, that's, that's maybe a bad example because I don't hunt in there anymore at the moment. But if I ever want to go back, that's still in play. You know, big buck country is always big buck country within reason. If there's, you know, if you, if you find a, a place that a big, a big buck likes one year and maybe you kill him. Well, guess what? Like another big other, buck will be that. Another big buck's going to backfill that. There's some somebody out there that makes uh, the comment like nature hates a void, right? And I don't I can't even remember where I heard that. Um But it's true. It's very true. Yeah. Yeah, right? That those deer aren't there by chance and particularly big bucks who are very specific about how they stay alive and the amount of pressure that they get. They're making very deliberate decisions about the feed. They they're the king of the mountain, so they're going to get the best areas to feed. Some doe's not going to come in and push them out of their best feeding area. It's not going to happen, right? Some younger buck is following along with that buck, but even he doesn't get the top bedding spot or the top feed, you know. But that two-year-old that was, you know, standing in the group when you killed the, you know, the four-and-a-half-year-old, he's going to be right back in that spot. And even if all those deer die off, guess what? The next batch, they're going to find that, you know? And so that's, right. that's kind of a little side bonus, I guess, um, to take away is, you know, if you find big buck country, it takes a pretty dramatic change in the population. You know, obviously year to year, you have winter kills and you have objectives and different population changes. But over the course of time, I would say that, that I agree with that. You know, nature doesn't like a void and there's going to be a big buck that eventually comes back and fills that spot, you know? So if you can, if you can stick to, if you're a blue collar guy and you only have so much X number of time and it's not much like quit jumping around units, you know, that's one thing. (laughs) Right. No, that's, that's, that's really good. Uh, good info. I, I noticed that a long time ago. It's funny. I originally realized it with coyotes that, I would hunt these little, I don't know, like 10 acre blocks of state land, right? That are surrounded by roads and then, and they're just like this little island of land that you could bow hunt in. I'd go in there and I'd 
kill kill a coyote, kill two coyotes, whatever. And, you know, that's probably all that was in there. And if I let it rest for a year and I didn't hunt that spot again, I'd go back there in another year, there'd be coyotes in there again. And I was like, oh, well, you know, there's got to be something. And then eventually when I got, when I was getting my master's degree, I, I figured out and I learned that it was animals are in places because of certain reasons, right? You know, that's, it's juxtaposition to bedding, feed, security, thermal cover, water, all those things. And if all those things are in place, there's going to be animals there. And barring, like you said, um, and more specifically to, to add to what you said, if barring there's not a major habitat change, more than likely, if you take a big buck out of an area, another big buck is going to fill those shoes. It might not be that year, but it might be the following year, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, that makes perfect sense. And I rely on that now for like my javelina hunts when we do them here. Uh, we have tremendous success because I have found herds in, you know, let's say 20 different areas, right? So I'll have the same 20 areas that I can rotate and we only take a certain amount of pigs out of each herd uh, so that the herd never dies off. And the year after year, we find we find animals in the same, same thing with the coos deer. Uh, mule deer, I generally hunt them in the rut but even during the rut, I know where the does are at and right. almost same, always are at. Same so, difference. Yeah, right? same difference. So that you don't necessarily see the same bucks coming through. Although I have, I've had, you know, two and three year stents with, with a buck that I was trying to kill and never got him or whatever. But um, even during the rut, when they're when the bucks are really, I mean, they're freaking traveling. You, you'll see them one place four miles away and then they'll be in another place. They have this where the does are at they're the does are always at and that's that's where the bucks come in so like it's not rocket science you just got to figure out where those spots are and and just yeah. keep at it you know no it's man and it's you know you mentioned rocket science and it's funny because i was i was driving in this morning and i was kind of i was maybe listening to another podcast or something and i was thinking like you know it's so interesting because there's really not a way to master this thing that we do, like this hunting thing that we do, you know, there's, there, there is, I mean, there's, you know, you could argue like, you know, a white tail guy that sets up his farm and gets his, you know, his, uh, feed crop and, you know, has X number of acres and he knows exactly where the deer are going to be and how big he can get them and that kind of stuff. But I'm talking like, this and, and Western, even that's still not a, even that's still not a guarantee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You it's know? probably not, you know, I'm, I'm no white tail guy by any means but you know i'm talking this like wild western backcountry just free for all so to speak and the beautiful like the frustrating thing is you you there's no you know it's like there's no way to like pinpoint exactly how to do something the same you know like business you know you feel like you can like man there's a formula you know or investing or you know just so many other things in life like mechanicing on a truck for example like you can perfectly mechanic and there's probably a an encyclopedia you can read on how to mechanic on a truck perfectly right mm -hmm. but it's like hunting is just it's so broad and it, there's no way to really perfect it you know it's like you can't you know there's generalities that we can talk about and 
you know, generally, you know, hunt the same units and, you know, use this type of equipment within reason. You want boots that can do this and you need a pack that can do this. And, you know, this is generally what mule deer do, but it's just always so variable and so different. I just love that it's, you know, that gives me the sense that there's always something to learn. You know, there's just, there's just always a new experience and there's always a new lesson to be learned that, you know, man, I've never seen a mule deer do that or whatever, you know, we can, we can talk about these, these generalities. Um, but man, even a, you know, even a generality, you know, maybe, maybe a big buck does act this way, but he's going to act differently in different terrain, you know, a little bit. And, and it's just, I just love it. Like there's just always something to chase, you know, there's no way that someone can tell you exactly how to do it. Otherwise they would. You know, uh, otherwise everyone would kill a deer every single year with their bow, right? Every single year you would kill a deer and it would be the biggest deer on the mountain, but it's not. Yeah. It it never happens that way. And it's just, man, it's so much fun. I I think if it was that way, I don't think most of us wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think, I think most of the guys that would be doing, would do it if it was just that easy to go out every time and just, it would just be the guys that are, maybe I, hopefully I'm not offending anybody, but the guys that are more about it for pulling the trigger than, than the actual experience of it all. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I I like pulling the trigger. Who doesn't? Uh, We all do. I I guess we all do, but but, But you you got to love it all too, right? Yeah. If if there was a formula to it, it would just be, um, you know, the guy who, is doing it for the wrong reasons would, you know, in other words, maybe you're, you know, caught up in the social media side of it. And I'm, I mean, I'm a social media guy, but I like to think that, well, I don't think, and I don't have to explain myself to anyone. I've been doing this long before social media ever existed. Same. And I was, I was addicted to it long before that. And I'll be addicted to it long after, you know, it doesn't, you know, social media doesn't have to change us. It, it can, it could expose us even more and faster, but you know, I, I know who I am, but you know, if there was a set way to guarantee to, you know, and there is right. High fence ranch hunts. And, and again, I couldn't give a crap if you want to go kill an elk on a high fence ranch um, or whatever. But you know, at that point you kind of have to ask yourself like, well, wait, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's, there's no hunt involved. Um, there's not much sport to it. Um, you know, big animals are fun. And so, are, you know, and that's fine, right? If you're just doing it for the Instagram model toss, like run it, you know, do it, get your, get your picture or whatever, you know, but that's what I love about the wild backcountry Western general public, blah, 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 is that you can't, you can't go buy it. You know, you can't, you can't have, you, you can't slip someone 300 bucks and get the, the formula, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I get it well, for sure. hundred percent. But yeah, no, I, like I, I think you were saying basically what I was saying. Anyway, it's kind of, you gotta, yeah. you gotta love the, you gotta love the whole thing. It can't just be about you holding a, holding an animal in your hand at the end. Anyhow, I was going to ask you if you had time to share with me, with me your favorite story, but if, uh, uh if you got to bounce, um, no, I, I got time. The problem is I, it's funny, man. Like you asked me that and I, I, you know, I thought of some lessons learned real quick, uh, that I just spouted off, but 
to ask a guy like what his favorite hunt is. Um, I don't know. I guess my favorite. I'll take another lesson too. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) Yeah. So continuing on with what not to do (laughs) part three, (laughs) just kidding. No, I don't know, man. Like, you know, I guess my favorite hunt is, is usually my last one, you know, cause that one's fresh on your memory and, Hmm. uh, you know, and I don't know that mule deer uh, that I killed this last year. That was, that was pretty special just cause how big he was. And, um, it, that one's pretty fresh on my mind. Um, but the, actually the last, so the last hunt that I went on was pretty, you know, I'll, I'll wrap up with this. And I've, I've told this story on my podcast. So if, if this gets played on my podcast, people have already heard it or whatever, but I, uh, I had an elk tag up here in Wyoming, right? I, I moved up to the Cody, Wyoming area. And so, yeah, I was going to say uh, your phone number changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I drew a tag here in the, you know, the mountain range here to the West, you know, with all the pack full of grizzlies and stuff. And, and so I, you know, I was grinding it, you know, it's like a 21 day season and I was kind of up there on the weekends and stuff at that. It was later in the, in October. And so I had pretty much spent all of my, all of my, uh, vacation time, but, I was just hitting it on the weekends and some evenings and took maybe one or two days off towards the end of the hunt. Anyway, finally killed a bull and it was, you know, I don't get me wrong. I lo- I like elk hunting. Um, I'm, I'm kind of fatuated with mule deer at the moment, but elk are, there's something special about elk, you know, especially in September when they're, oh, yeah. stuff. but anyway, I, I killed this bull and I was by myself and, you know, this is a first for me hunting in grizzly country is kind of a first and, and, uh, you know, definitely by myself. And now I've got this bull on the ground and I, you know, long story short, I'd kind of sat on these elk that were in these, this thick timber all day. And so by the time I killed him, you know, it was an hour or two before dark. And so I, I go into scramble mode and I'm over there, you know, just, just trying to, at that point, I, I don't have any pack animals or anything. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to get off the mountain uh, and come back in the morning. And so I, I, did the quickest field dressed gut job I've ever done in my life and, uh, open this bull up and get him, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to snow basically. And so he's, he's going to be just fine. And then I've got the hike out, right. And I've got like a three mile hike out and it's, it's basically dark and there's fog rolling in. And so you can't, you know, you can only see a couple, you know, I don't know, not, not far under a hundred yards in front of you. And so it just kind of set the mood for a real spooky, uh, <laughs> you know, Halloween's coming up and it's real spooky time of year. And anyway, so killed that bull and, uh, it was just a good bull. He had broken off one side of his, on one side after his fourth. And so he would, he would score for anything, but he's, you know, he's probably a three thirty bull or something like that, but. Anyway, I'm hiking out and the route out of here, you hit this kind of an old dead, uh, shut down logging road that's up on top of the ridge. And so I just hit the peak there and I had three miles to go in the dark here. And I'm, I'm pretty paranoid. You know, I, you know, I like to think that grizzlies and stuff aren't the boogeyman. They're not behind every tree like people think. Right. But it's really hard to convince yourself otherwise when it's dark and you got you're covered in blood and you're by yourself and you know the middle of grizzly bear country. So I'm on edge, I'll say. And I hit the ridge and there's you know there's the area is pretty burned and so there's some young trees, you know, growing up on side of the road and 
I'm coming up on these trees and I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm just by myself. So I'm kind of being quiet, but I get within, I don't know, you know, I need, I need to go back up there and really step it off. But it was, I'm telling you, it was under 30 yards and it was probably closer to 20. <laughs> and all of a sudden there's kind of a row of these little jack pines that are maybe three or four feet tall. And all of a sudden behind, and they're, and they're lying in the road that I'm about to walk by, you know, I'm going to go within feet of them. And all of a sudden, uh, a, a cat, a oh, mountain shit. lion jumps and leaps over the top of the pines. And now he's on the road for a split second, just, you know, leaps and, and lands in the middle of the road, kind of really looks me up and down and makes sure what I am. And then bolts off the, you know, and then dives off the road. And so, oh, shit. Dude, I'm just like, I'm already on edge. I'm, you know, I'm thinking I've got my, I've got my 10 mil on my side. And surprisingly, and I had a cat tag, surprisingly, I pulled my, I had time to pull my, well, the first thing I did is I yelled, oh, expletive, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh my, you know, gosh. And, and so I, I pull my, um, I pull my Glockto and I, <laughs> I, you know, like ghetto gangster, I, popped off two rounds at him while he, while he bounced into the tree. And I wasn't, I don't think I was anywhere near him, but you know, it was, it was just, it was a fun little sobering moment there for a minute. You know, I'm pretty sure that that cat had heard me coming from around the, the ridge line and didn't know what I was mm-hmm. and what had changed things. I think, cause I'm, I'm convinced that if I had just kept my mouth shut, um, but I, I made like a human noise, right? Like I, I cleared my throat or I coughed or something. I, I distinctly remember doing something like that right before he bailed. And I think in his head, he registered that it, this is person, not, a, you know, an elk or a deer. Right. And otherwise, I think he would have pounced. I, th- I think he was fully planning on, you know, whatever this was, he's going to take advantage of it. Um, and so it was, it was pretty, it was pretty fun little, you know, and then I still had three miles to, to hike out basically in, uh, in your pants the whole way. <laughs> uh, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Jesus. So, yeah. You know, I'm walking around like a crazy man in the mountains. Hey, Hey bear. Hey cat. Hey bear. Hey cat. For three miles. Jesus. So, anyway, that was how yeah. my season ended last year. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's, I, I had a run in with a cat. Was it last year? Yeah, I think it was. Last, it was either last year or the year before, during uh, December season here. And I rode my, I rode my bike back into this. Um, no, no, it's not a wilderness area, but it's no motorized vehicles. And I rode my bike, and this freaking cat was following me on the bike. Like he was out there, like. <laughs> I caught him with the the light, you know, with a headlamp. This is dark. It's like I don't know, an hour or so before light, and uh, I was going to go sit a waterhole, and man, I could see his green eyes were just freaking, <laughs> and he just kept following me, and finally stopped, and I was started yelling at him, and like he just stood there and stared at me, and it, mm. I was like, what the fuck is going on? I'm like this, he knows I'm a human being, right? Yeah, and. <laughs> And then eventually he just turned around and 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 went boogered off, and I was like, man, I couldn't go sit on the waterhole. I was like, man, there's no way I'm going to go sit in this freaking the dark over there for an hour and a half by myself. <laughs> I climbed up this ridge and I I got like up against this big saguaro cactus and just kind of hunkered down, waiting for light, and then I went and decided to go hunt after that. But I was like, I'm not going to go sit because I didn't have a ground blind or anything. I was just going to be sitting in the bushes, yeah, you know. And then uh, 
what was it like 2017, 2018, I had just very similar situation to you. I was up in the high country. I killed my buck in Utah and I was packing them out and I had a freaking bear following me, just shadowing me. A black bear. Hmm. I was like, what the hell? Honestly, I was going to shoot him in my freaking headlamp with my bow if he didn't leave me alone. I was I was seriously considering. I had no sidearm, nothing, you know. I, but eventually, he just got, you know, whatever. And I had too much trouble and decided to walk off. But fuck, I was like, what the hell? Usually, when I see a black bear, they're gone. With by the time I see them, they're freaking taking off so, and running. So speak, speaking of bears, um, you know, th- this just happened. This just happened a week ago. Um, me and my my buddy here, uh, Derek, we were out just looking for black bears, same general country, right? We're in the middle of grizzly country looking for black bears. We spot this big bear from across the, I mean, but he's like two miles from where we could see him. And we, it was, you know, it was like 30 minutes and it was kind of cloudy. So it's really hard to get a good look at him. So it's like, man, this is either a grizzly or this is the biggest, you know, black bear that we've seen. And so we're going to go get a look at him. So we, we swing all the way around the road and we come up, uh, up, you know, there's a little dirt road that came above him. And this is just out in the rolling flats, you know, kind of down in the, in the, in the lowland on the, on the rolling flat grass, uh, hills. In fact, there's a whole bunch of elk, you know, it's basically where the cows, uh, winter and, and calve. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what this bear was doing. In fact, so we get up on top of him and, and again, we're just, it's like 10 minutes to the end of shooting light. It's very, very, very dark. Mm-hmm. And we're just trying to get a look. And at this point we're like, you know, we're 99% sure this is a grizzly. And so we're just kind of there to watch. But the first thing we see, you know, and he's at this point, we're up, up parked up above him on the road and we're, I don't know, three or 400 yards. He's down below us and he's, he's pretty occupied and, we know that we actually noticed before we saw anything else, we saw a coyote right next to him. Hmm. And it's like, man, that's, that's really weird. Right? Like, what are these two doing hanging out? Well, then the, the bear eventually picks his mouth up to walk away and he's got a, an elk calf in his mouth. He's, he's oh, found probably the first elk calf of the year in, in, in this wintering ground or in this calving ground here. And, you know, he's just about to have a heyday for the next month or whatever it takes. But, Anyway, he's got this elk calf in his mouth. We're just like, no way. Like, this is crazy, right? Mm. And uh, and then the uh, buddy that I'm with, Derek, he's, you know, and we're just, again, he's sitting in the truck. I'm actually outside of the truck, just kind of, kind of towards the front, just glassing this bear up. And he's like, oh, let's see what. And so he, he starts um, squealing on a, a dead rabbit call from mm. the truck window. And I kid you not, this bear, like, instantly just, perks up and starts bolting right to us. Oh shit. Yeah. And, and he dro- eventually just drops the elk calf that he has. Right. And drops it on the ground and he's, he's coming like 400, 300, 200, 150. And I'm just standing outside of the truck. Like, how is this going to end? Like this guy's crazy. Right. I mean, he, he can see it's a truck. Like this, this grizzly swings, a hundred under easily under a hundred yards. I mean, he's probably 75 yards below us and finally hits our wind. And, and that's what kind of, he's like, okay, I don't want anything to do with this, but that sucker, man, you want to talk. That's, that's my closest encounter with a grizzly so far up here. And they're just so impressive, man. I'm, I'm, 
I'm enthralled. Like they just can't look at them enough. Like they're so impressive. Like it's, oh, it's yeah, crazy. a big animal. Yeah. That is a big, big animal, animal, man. Oh yeah. man. All right. So one, one more, this is actually not my story to tell, but I'm gonna tell you anyway, my, my hunting buddy, well, my, the guy that I hunt with the most, Charles Wibon, with him and I, uh, we do a lot of joint ventures together and he's taken out some clients, uh, for turkey hunting last week. And he had a lion fight come in five feet, took like basically bounded towards him calling and he jumped hmm. up and he stood up and basically the lion hit the brakes and turned around and ran like right before he got to him. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Freaking nuts in California. Well, you know, bear grizzlies are terrifying, but if I had a grizzly coming at me or a lion, like I got a, I probably got a three time better chance of actually hitting the grizzly with my pistol oh, than yeah. a cat. I mean, those cats come at you and they're really not that wide, you know, yeah. unless they're, unless they're broadside just standing there, there's really not much to aim at. Like I'd much rather have a grizzly bear target. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Their freaking head's giant. Yeah. So, but all right, man. anyway, well, uh, thanks for all the stories and the, the, the insight. I appreciate it. I'm glad to have you on. Yeah. And, uh, guys, if you want to check out a, an awesome podcast, check out Dustin's podcast, finding back country. Um, yeah. Lot, lot if you want to hear more BS, uh, head over there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot. Uh, yeah. We'll talk to you soon. John, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit FindingBackCountry.com.